0: Well, good morning. I want to encourage you to uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 10. Romans, chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21. I'm going to re- begin reading in verse 13, actually. I'm going to pick up a verse from Jeremy last week and get us into our text for today. Romans 10, beginning in verse 13. This is the word of the Lord For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, with a foolish nation I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me, I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for this time in your word. We ask now that you would instruct us in it and change us by it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever built a house or had a house built? All right, put your hands down. I want to ask how your marriage sustained that time, but uh, just think about building a house or think maybe you've thought about building a house and then kind of backed away from it before. You cannot build a house without a process, can you? You just can't do it. The process, I mean, there's a lot of details in the process. I'm, I'm kind of summarizing the process here for us right now, but the process is long and it involves a lot of details, but it begins with a set of plans called blueprints. That's typically where we begin that process of building a home. We get those blueprints, those plans, that, that's what I want to build, uh, whether or not we have uh, the place we're going to build it yet but that's what I want that's the home I want to build and so we begin with a set of plans called blueprints and once the blueprints are secure then a builder is hired right we get a builder involved and the builder is supposed to build what's on the blueprints and in the midst of all this you fork over all kinds of money and you are happily broke and the builder is happily compensated that's how it works right that's that's the, that's Makes makes it sound so easy, right? You just pick some blueprints, pick a builder, and boom, a house, and you're broke. That's how it goes. Well, in the New Testament, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is described as a building. One of the ways we can think about this building is that the Father, God the Father, is the great architect of this building, and Christ Jesus the Son is the one who executes it. He builds what the Father has planned. And Romans 9 and Romans 10 kind of give us a look at that process. Romans 9, if you will, is is really giving us a glimpse at the divine blueprints of what God the Father has determined to do as he has sought to save Gentiles and a remnant of the Jews. Chapter 10 then lets us see how the house gets built, we could say. So we see a, a process here. And really, as we get here to where we are in chapter ten, the, the the blueprints of chapter nine have led us to the building now of chapter ten. And several truths that we see emerge from these chapters is this regarding salvation. Is number truth number one, no one will be saved apart from God's sovereign election. It's chapter nine. Truth number two, no one will be saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Chapter ten. Last week we saw, as Jeremy preached the Word so well, we saw that a right standing with God is universally available to all, Jews or Gentiles, by faith, not by works. So as we think about this universal salvation, we concluded there in verse 13, for everyone, Jew or Gentile, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The one who comes to Christ by faith, that one will receive salvation. So as we continue now into chapter 10 today, we're going to get a first-hand look at the construction site, we could say. We're going to get a first-hand look as we consider how it is God builds his people, how God brings in his elect, how God builds the church as those, we see in verse 13, as those who believe the gospel as they call on the name of the Lord. So simply put this morning, we're looking at how the gospel is the way unto salvation for all who believe. It's simply put, and that's exactly what we're looking at this morning. The gospel is the way unto salvation for all who believe. And so in our text this morning, verses 14 through 21, we are going to see three implications about the gospel as God builds his church. Three implications about the gospel as God builds his church. Implication number one. We're going to see this in verses 14 and 15. First of all, we see the necessity of preaching the gospel. The necessity of preaching the gospel. Verse 13, he says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then Paul goes into response mode. But how are they to call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him and of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent the promise we have in verse 13 is a universal promise that demonstrates just how far and wide God's salvation extends everyone whether Jew or Greek who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and as verse 12 said there's no distinction everyone comes to Christ the same way Whether you're Jew or whether you're a Gentile, salvation comes by turning from your sin and placing your hope and trust in Christ Jesus. You come to him by faith, not by works. So if it's true then that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, then how is this made possible? How can they call on the name of the Lord? Well, Paul answers, and you see that there in the text. Again, it begins with calling on the name of the Lord. Well, calling on the name of the Lord implies that you're believing in the gospel and believing in the gospel implies that you're hearing the gospel and hearing the gospel implies that you're someone has preached or proclaimed or shared the gospel with you and that even requires them being sent to you right so if you reversed that order we send we preach so that people can hear believe and call right paul is using these verses here to show how it is that verse 13 takes place he's showing here how God is building his church it comes through listen some of us get bogged down in chapter 9 and and we get all kinds of a gazillion questions gazillion is a number okay we get all these questions about divine election and we're just oh what about this what about this what about this listen divine election is true but it's equally true that unless someone hears the gospel and believes in it they will not be saved you must hear the gospel and you must place your faith in Jesus Christ if you're going to be saved. That is quite clear from Romans chapter 10. And so I often hear that, well, election just undermines evangelism and all this. Friends, you're not understanding election if that's what you think. It doesn't undermine it. It, it, it spurs us on to go and to preach the gospel. We're going to see that there. We, Paul's using these verses here to prove a larger point but at their face value, you see here the way that salvation comes about. God elects, verse chapter 9, then he sends messengers to preach so that his people will be gathered in. So here we see clearly that not only does God ordain the end, those who will be saved, but he also ordains the means through which his people will be saved. That's why evangelism, missions, prayer, and all of this is required. Faith is required. No one will be saved unless they hear the gospel and respond to it by faith. This is huge, this is huge, because again, people often claim that those who believe in the sovereignty of God are fatalists. But Paul, who had a very high view of the sovereignty of God, was no mere fatalist. His view of salvation had space for both God's sovereignty and human responsibility. The, the same Paul that wrote all of these deep truths about the doctrine of election in chapter 9 is the same Paul who wrote in chapter 10 verse 1 that he's praying for his people to be saved and now he's, 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 he's exhorting the church to emphasize the necessity of preaching the gospel. Salvation must come from prayer and preaching the gospel so that the gospel can go forth. For someone who believed in the doctrine of election, he also had a clear understanding of our responsibility to pray and to preach and for those who need to hear the gospel and trust in it. Listen, any view of election, the doctrine of election, any view of the doctrine of election that downplays prayer and preaching is not biblical, period. So here's the logic from the text. No one will be saved unless they believe in the gospel. But no one can believe in the gospel unless it's preached. And it cannot be preached unless people are sent. People take the gospel. So salvation then requires a clear and faithful proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now there are a few things to consider in application here. First of all, our responsibility to evangelize. Our responsibility to Evangelize. You know, oftentimes there's, there's disagreement today on what the mission of the church is. You ask, a, you just randomly pick 100 Christians out of Christendom? What is the mission of the church? And you're gonna get a, probably a, 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 a bunch of different answers. Um, often disagreement on what constitutes the true mission of the church. There are those who say the church needs to be focused more so on matters of social justice, digging wells, fighting sex trafficking, working to alleviate poverty, promoting foster care, working against systemic racism, working to relieve hunger. On and on we can go, all of which the church must be engaged in. Please do not mishear me. If anything, the church conservative Bible-believing Christians are, are failing miserably at doing these things. They're failing miserably at engaging in social matters and doing justice in the world. Others, though, will say the mission of the church is simply to preach the gospel. We're not to get bogged down in all of these other matters. We just need to preach Jesus. We're not called to be cultural change agents, but just show people how they can be right with God. Friends, I don't think it needs to be an either-or I think the church ought to be giving more attention to matters of systemic racism, poverty alleviation, fighting sex trafficking, promoting foster care and hunger relief, and all the, the, those good things. The church ought to be engaging more in these issues, but the mistake that theological liberalism made is to think that doing these things is advancing the gospel. Doing those things is not advancing the gospel. It's not an either or. I would actually argue one flows from the other. We must be involved in matters of justice, but the most important thing we will ever do is preach the gospel. Friends, if we work tirelessly to relieve temporary burdens among the suffering and the oppressed without showing them where they can find true hope and everlasting life, we have failed. Doing justice, I would say, social justice, is an important implication of the gospel. It's not the gospel, but it's an implication that's an outflow of the gospel. So we need to understand that the calling, the mission that we have as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, so we have a responsibility to evangelize. Listen, this is the means by which God draws his people in, the preaching of the gospel, the hearing and the believing, and the calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which leads to a second point, is and, and it ties right into the first, is our responsibility to mobilize. Our responsibility to mobilize. Now listen, I'm not a fan. I'm not a big fan of feet. I don't like feet. I'm not a big. I'm not pro flip flop. I don't like flip flops. I don't like sandals. I'm not a big feet person. Uh, if you like <laughs> flip flops and sandals, good for you. I just think all feet are ugly. All right. I'm not I'm not uh, at all trying to undermine anyone's feet in particular here. They're just ugly. I think feet are ugly. So you'll often see me in closed shoes, right? Even if you come to my house, I have socks on my feet, right? Most feet are ugly, I think. But I read this verse. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I take comfort in that verse about my own feet. In all seriousness, those who are sent out as messengers of the gospel have beautiful feet because they have a transformative, glorious message. Friends, we, as we as we hear this call here, as 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 Paul is un, unfolding these verses about the necessity of preaching, the necessity of people hearing and responding to the gospel, that means that as a local church, we have a responsibility, a stewardship, an obligation, we could say, to equip and send out faithful men and women who will go and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Just in our short lifespan as a church, since January 1st, 2015, now I know we were a congregation before that, as the campus of Leonardtown Baptist Church. But just in our short lifespan as Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, we've had the opportunity to see men and women called and sent out. We've seen the Fernandez family go to Brooklyn and invest there for the kingdom of God. We've seen Cale Benefield be trained in seminary and serving a local church. We've see, we, we're we gonna see and talk about them later, Trey Mangan, as he, one of our elders, is serving here faithfully. It's our last Sunday, we'll say more about that later. Uh, side note. and. Uh, Trey will be sent out to serve local churches. Stephen is a faithful example of someone who is going to eventually be sent out. Bethany Schaefer recently has started taking seminary classes interested in serving the local church in counseling or missions. On and on we could go to see how how God has stirred within our own ranks this desire to take the gospel in some form or another. Praise God for that. My prayer is that this is, the, uh, that, that this is the tip of the iceberg for Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. My prayer is that in the coming months and weeks and years ahead is that we will see more and more men and women raised up and equipped and mobilized to be messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. R- embedded right here is, is, is an implication for us, for the local church to be intentionally devoted in raising up and sending out gospel messengers. And if we fail to do that, then, friends, we have failed in some way to be faithful stewards of the calling and mission that the church has. And, friend, to some degree, all of us, all of you, have a responsibility and a stewardship here. You don't need to be called to full-time vocational ministry or to go go attend seminary somewhere to, to now be a messenger of the gospel. All of us, all of you in this room, if you name Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, You, friend, have a responsibility and a stewardship to communicate the gospel as a messenger, as a herald of Christ, wherever you go. All of us have this responsibility to be mobilized for the sake of the kingdom. So we see here the necessity of preaching. The necessity, this is not optional. What we do on Sunday mornings and what we do throughout the week, what we do in other cities and nations is not optional. This is the means by which God has ordained to gather people into the kingdom of God. This is how he does it. And listen, he will do it with you or without you. God's gonna do it. God's gonna save. And you can either be with him as he does that and be obedient and faithful, or you can be disobedient and miss out on so many blessings that God has for us. The necessity of preaching, implication number two we see, is the tragedy of spurning the gospel. Tragedy of spurning the gospel. In verse 16, and then again in verses 18 and 19, we see this here. Paul has emphasized the essential response of faith in Jesus Christ, which comes by hearing the gospel, and hearing comes by someone preaching or sharing or proclaiming the gospel. But in verse 18... Paul reveals that the Jewish people, most of them, had in fact heard the gospel, All right? So, so he's saying, here's the way it happens. Here's how people call on the name of the Lord. They they hear the gospel and they respond in faith. And so Paul's, Paul's going to correct something here. You're, you may be reading this and think, well, maybe the reason the vast majority of the Jewish people haven't trusted in Christ, maybe they haven't heard it. Maybe they haven't understood it. And Paul shuts that down immediately. He says, But I ask, have they not heard? Oh, indeed they have. They've heard the gospel. Not only have they heard it, verse 19, and through the question and answers that he gives there, not only have they heard the gospel, they have understood it. So they've heard it, and they've understood it. And so here we see Paul is, and when you couple verses 18 and 19 with verse 16, look at verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. In verse 18, Paul quotes from Psalm 19, verse 4. If you were to read Psalm 19 uh, there in the first few verses, you would see that in chapter 19 of Psalm, you would understand that the psalmist is referring to the heavens, which declare the glory of God, and how the, the universe, the heavens, the, the heavens declare the fact that God exists. So we, call, we often call that general revelation. You can just look outside and see that there is a creator, right? It just didn't happen. God created. So that's what Psalm 19 points to. It speaks of general revelation. But Paul, interestingly enough, he quotes this psalm here in verse um, 18. He quotes this psalm here and uses it more like an analogy. Their voice has gone out in, in the psalm. That's the voice of the heavens, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But Paul here quotes it to use it as an analogy. It's as if Paul is saying, as God's word of general revelation has been proclaimed all over all the earth through creation, so God's word of special revelation in the gospel has been spread throughout the world. Now, he's not saying here that the gospel had literally reached the ends of the earth. He's most likely thinking in terms of the, Roman in, the, the known world, the Roman Empire, or he could be thinking in corporate terms. It's, it's reached not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. It's gone to the ends of the earth in that way. All of this to say is that the Jews had plenty of opportunity to hear, to understand, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, they have heard. Verse 19, they understood, as he quotes from Moses there in Deuteronomy 32, which prophesied the day when the Jews would be made jealous and the Gentiles would be brought in. And yet, despite all of this, as verse 21 here says, they remained disobedient and contrary. There's two warnings I think we see from these verses that I think are good for us to consider today two warnings that I think are helpful. Warning number one, don't think that the gospel is the problem. When you see most people in the world denying Jesus or not responding favorably to the gospel, don't be tempted to think that the gospel must be the problem. We need to ask the question, Why did the Jewish people reject Christ? And how we answer that question can have a major impact on us as the church. The reason the Jewish people rejected the gospel was not because the message of the gospel was somehow unclear, it wasn't because there were no messengers. It wasn't because they didn't understand it or have an opportunity to hear it. Paul makes clear here the reason that the Jewish people, at least most of them, had refused the gospel. They refused to believe it and obey it. They refused, as Jeremy pointed out last week, to believe in faith. Friends, Understanding the reason why they and anyone rejects the gospel is critically important. If you think the reason, if, you, if you've shared the gospel with someone or you, you've you watched others share the gospel with people and it just seems to be rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected, our temptation will be oftentimes, if we've got the gospel right, oh, it's, a, it's a correct gospel that we're giving and it's just not being received, our temptation will be, well maybe I need to modify the presentation. Maybe I need to modify the gospel so that it's more receivable, somehow let me reduce the offense of the gospel let me apply let me appeal more to felt needs let me not highlight the essential teaching of sin and judgment brothers and sisters i hope you i hope you realize that countless christians and so-called churches often modify the gospel So much so that there is no gospel often in those churches. Christians in churches are often tempted to modify the message in order to get better results. Listen, if people refuse the gospel, the problem is not with the gospel. The gospel does not need updating. It does not need to be made more relevant. It speaks clearly and sufficiently to the problem at hand, and that is sinful human hearts in rebellion against their Creator. Some of you might be tempted to sneak back to chapter 9 and say, Well, no, 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 Pastor, the reason they're not except, they weren't elect. How can they help it? Paul's already addressed all of that. He's already addressed all of that. He says, The reason that they The election does certainly play a part in that, but listen, if God was to pass over someone, he's not passing over neutral people. he's, He's passing over those who insist on rebelling against their creator, and he's giving them exactly what they want. Gospel doesn't need updating. It speaks clearly to the issue at hand, so don't think the gospel is the problem. The human heart is the problem. Rebellion against the creator is the problem. Warning number two, don't ignore what's been made clear. Don't ignore what's been made clear. Most of the Jews that Paul was burdened over had ample access to the gospel. They'd heard it many times and they understood it, and yet they rejected it. They had no one to blame but themselves. You know, we often put a lot of emphasis on unreached people groups, rightfully so. I mean, how can they hear in whom they've never heard? And we, we need to be making emphasis on unreached people groups and the urgent need for the gospel to go to the far ends of the earth. We need to be calling people, men and women, out to go to the ends of the earth to preach the gospel, to share the gospel so that the nations can hear. But the Bible also addresses the reached And in a way, we could classify the Jewish people here as the reached. They had heard the gospel, they had understood the gospel, yet they had rejected it outright. I want you to listen to me clearly. Some of you in this room today, some of you in this room today may very well be just like many of the Jews in Paul's day. You've heard this message countless times. You've heard this message week after week after week after week. You've understood it. You could recite it. You could tell others what the gospel is. And yet, friends, somehow you remain lost In your sin because you've never turned from your sin and placed your hope in Christ that is a terrible tragedy friends if you're here today and you have heard this gospel time and time again and you've understood it and yet you've not repented of your sin and placed your hope in Christ why What is holding you back from from placing your life in the hands of an all-sufficient Savior to forgive you of your sins and to welcome you into the kingdom of God? And you know it. This is not a matter of, is this me or is he talking about me? No, you know right now if this is you. Yes, pastor, I've heard this gospel. Yes, I I could tell it to others, but I've never believed in Christ myself. I've never trusted in him to be my Savior and Lord. Friend, I plead with you today, stop the waiting and trust in Christ. Believe in Jesus for your salvation. Embrace him as Lord and Savior of your life. Have your sins forgiven. Be adopted into the family of God right now. You don't have to have some special occasion right now. Place your hope in Christ. The the tragedy with the Jewish people was that they had heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it. They, They understood it. And because of the issue of sin in their human heart, they had become hardened against the gospel. They insisted to continue on in their moral rebellion against God. Don't underestimate the power of sin in the human heart. It will harden you against the gospel whether you're a teenager or an adult a young adult it doesn't matter who you are today especially some of you younger teens and maybe college students you've heard this gospel so many times and for some of you you've not trusted in christ i know it as a fact some of you in this room today you've not trusted in jesus and you're here every week why why Today is the day of salvation. Come to Christ today. Turn from your sin and all of the things that you think this world has to offer you and turn to the one who can give you endless joy. The only one that can forgive you of all your sins. Friends, do not ignore what has been made clear. We see a lot of tragedy in the world today but I would suggest to say that the greatest tragedy in the world is for those who have heard and understood the gospel and yet reject it that is the greatest tragedy in the world the necessity of preaching the gospel there's the tragedy like the Jews of spurning the gospel But then there is the success of advancing the gospel. In the midst of Israel's tragedy comes a bit of good news. Even though the vast majority of the Israelites had rejected Jesus, his acceptance among the Gentiles was growing. And the Lord said this would happen. He prophesied this would happen. In verse 19, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 32, where Moses said it would happen. And then he points to Isaiah the prophet where he says, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. And so Paul quotes from Isaiah 65 verse 1 and Isaiah 65 verse 2 to reference both the Gentiles in verse 20 here and in verse 21 the Jews. As Jeremy pointed out last week, those who had sought for God wrongly, the Jews, did not find him, and those who weren't even looking for God found him. Much of these verses have been focused on the sad state of Israel, at least we're getting to chapter 11. There's a bit of good news there concerning Israel. Most of these verses so far has been focused on the sad state of Israel, the the Jewish people, but here comes this ray of good that we find here, that there is success in the gospel taking place among the Gentiles. Even though the Jews had largely rejected the gospel, there was widespread embrace of the gospel among the Gentile world. Gentiles simply meaning anyone that's not a Jew. Friends, it's a reminder to us all that the gospel will have success even in the most unlikely and unexpected of places. Last summer, several of us went to France to work among North African Muslims people group. We were there distributing information and, Bibles and gospel material to mostly North African Muslims. Not always the most eager folks to receive the gospel because they are so entrenched in Islam. and They know exactly what they believe and they know exactly why they don't believe Christianity and they have their arguments for it. And I can't tell you how many times I would be walking toward a person thinking in my mind, there is no way they're going to take what I'm about to give them. I'm making all these excuses that there's just no way. I mean, maybe, maybe it's a look on their face. Maybe it's because they were dressed out in the, in the Islamic uh, w- uh, dress. And I'm just thinking, there's no way. And it was in those times that when I'd be walking up thinking, this, this person's not going to, little faith, that they take it with joy and say, thank you. <laughs> and I would be like, pfft. I'm not God, right? Yep. Many times I was so shocked to see that they would actually receive with joy and with happiness. Friends, it's just a reminder to us all that we must never look on the outside and draw conclusions on how successful the gospel may or may not be. Listen, saving is God's job. That's what he does. And he's really good at it. I mean, he saved you. (laughs) He's good at it. We are simply called to be faithful messengers of the gospel. And listen, God has a track record of saving even the hardest of sinners. Just ask the guy that wrote this letter. Had you been walking on the road to Damascus that day and encountered Paul or at that time Saul, you would have thought, no way, this guy's coming to Jesus. And God radically intervened and saved him. And now he's the one that is teaching us the gospel. Glory be to God for what he does. Friends, we can never know what the Lord is doing in the lives of other people. Even those that seem the hardest, even those that seem the most unlikely to believe, even those coworkers who are so entrenched in agnosticism and atheism and have all of these secular arguments they want to throw at you every day just to try to discourage you. You have no idea what God is doing in their hearts. Never underestimate the power of the gospel to save sinners. Friends, the truth is there will be many who reject it. But there will be many who receive it, and we are called to share it. Romans chapter 10 is a great text, a great text to remind us of several things. As Jeremy pointed out last week, the gospel is a message to be received by faith, not by works. The gospel is a message that must be proclaimed, must be. The gospel is a message that must be received by faith. If you're to be saved, you must receive it. You must turn from your sin and receive Christ. And the gospel is a message that will be successful. The truth of the matter is, is that all of us in this room, every single person can find ourselves somewhere in Romans chapter 10. You're in here. You didn't know it, but you are. You're in this chapter Friends, are you among those who have heard the gospel but you still not received it? Then why not trust in Christ today? Why put it off another day? You're not promised tomorrow. Why? Why put it off? Trust in Christ today and be saved. Are you among those whom the Lord may be calling out to be sent out? We've had several. There's room for more. We need more servants to be going to places in the world that need Christ. Friend, are you trusting the gospel to have success even when you doubt? Friend, we've been called to humbly trust in Christ, we've been called to faithfully obey his calling, whether that's to believe or to be sent. And all of us have been called to confidently share, knowing the gospel will succeed. Friends, the blueprints have been set, and God's house, the church, will be built. Question is, will you be part of that work? Will you be part of the house? And will you be part of that construction for God's glory? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this word of reminder and calling and exhortation. We thank you for instructing us. Father, I thank you for the way that you bring about conviction, even in my own heart as I consider these words today. But Lord, my prayer this morning is simple, that you would do what we can't. Father, my prayer even now, would you save those who would be in this room that are unbelieving. My prayer, Lord, would, would, would you bring to pass salvation today for some in this room that have been holding out for so long. They've, they've heard, they've understood, they know what the gospel is, they just not trusted. Lord, would you move in their hearts, would you open their eyes, and would you help them to see you for all that you are and come running to you in faith today? Do that, Father. Help them to have no more excuses. and Call them to yourself. Father, it may be that you're calling some in this room to consider full-time ministry somewhere, sometime. Lord, would you work in their hearts and help them to respond in obedience and faithfulness. Lord, all of us have this calling to be messengers of the gospel, to be ambassadors for the king. Father, would you help us to go into our families and workplaces and neighborhoods and wherever it is we go this week to be confident in our sharing, knowing that you are at work. You are building your people. And Father, would you help us to be part of that work for the good of all and for the glory of your great name. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.